As support for Ukraine slows down, back and forth attacks with Russia ramp up. Over 50 drones in total were launched by the Russian forces over Ukraine, mostly south regions, central part of the country and west part of the country, including the city of Kyiv. Plus, time is running out for U.S. lawmakers to agree on an aid package for Ukraine before heading home for the holidays. Do Republicans not realize how thrilled Putin must be right now seeing the gridlock? Russian state TV is even running segments on how great it is for Russia that Congress can't pass Ukraine funding. And later in the program, Russian peace activists say authorities are stepping up restrictions on freedom of expression ahead of next year's presidential elections. Today is Monday, December 18th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening, I'm Lori London. Russia and Ukraine reportedly launched mass drone attacks at each other's territories over the weekend, one of which apparently targeted a Russian military airport. Ukraine's military chief says one of his offices was also bugged and other devices were detected. We're joined now by Anna Chernikova in Kyiv for an update on all of it. Anna, another tough weekend for Ukraine. What can you tell us? Over 50 drones in total were uh, were launched by the Russian forces over Ukraine, mostly south regions, central part of the country and west part of the country, including the city of Kyiv. Also, uh, the attacks are happening in the east, but east is something, you know, we can consider it separately because it's very tough situation, the front line in the east. So it's not only missiles and drones, it's also artillery attacks. And this is something that happens just on a daily basis. So if we're talking about the, you know, what happened over the weekend, mostly it was a, a very tough night in the early hours of Saturday in Kyiv as well as in the west part of the country and in the south including the Kherson region and Odessa region. We know for the moment we have confirmation that in Odessa region one of the drones was shut down but but the, the main part of the drone exploded. It fell down on the private building and exploded in there and it was confirmed that one person died due to this attack. Also there are a lot of damage in the port infrastructure and around the critical infrastructure of the regions that were under the attack. Most of the drones were destroyed by Ukrainian air defense, as well as uh, one of the missiles that was targeting that was targeting Ukraine. And what about Russia? Did Russia suffer any damage from any strikes from Ukraine? On Sunday, Ukrainian media confirmed that, according to anonymous sources in the Ukrainian armed forces, it was confirmed that Ukrainian security service, as well as Ukrainian intelligence, uh, was responsible for the attacks on the territory of Russia. The first attack was on the airfield in the Rostov region. According to the information provided by the Ukrainian media sources, it was confirmed that Ukrainian forces had successful attack uh, targeting the air base that basically was allocating, at the point of the attack, it was allocating 20 Su-34 aircraft, three radar stations and other stations and other equipment. Uh, and apparently the damage is uh, quite significant. However, we cannot verify this information independently and there is no official confirmation from the Ukrainian authorities. In addition, again, according to anonymous sources from the Ukrainian media, it was confirmed that Ukrainian intelligence also launched drone attacks on a couple of, of regions inside of Russia. And uh, at this point, we don't exactly know the results of these attacks. And again, we cannot verify this information independently. However, the only slight confirmations that we have 
from official sources, it was in President Zelensky's evening address on Sunday. He sang the state security service the, of Ukraine, the Air Force and the Foreign Intelligence Service for their powerful work, as he mentioned in in his address. So we can only guess what the meaning behind this words. And lastly, what do you know about Ukraine's military chief saying that he's detected wiretapping devices in at least his office and hinting that potentially more in other locations? Yes. And again, uh, on Sunday, the general staff of the armed forces of Ukraine officially announced that uh, it was detected a wiretapping in one of the offices used by the commander in chief and his staff. Um, And uh, at this point, we know that security service of Ukraine opened criminal proceeding on that. Also, on Monday, Mr. Zaluzhny himself announced that he does not consider these listening devices could have put any pressure on his or his team because it was also confirmed that uh, these devices were found in one of the working offices, but not in the main office that a commander-in-chief uh, is usually using. So, uh, at this point, we don't have uh, any more details, but we will be keeping our eye on that. All right. Anna Chernikova reporting for VOA. Thank you so much. Thank you. Russian President Vladimir Putin, in his year-end speech to his nation, dismissed as complete nonsense remarks by U.S. President Joe Biden that Russia would attack a NATO country if it won the war in Ukraine. In a plea to Republicans not to block further military aid earlier this month, Biden warned that if Putin was victorious over Ukraine, the Russian leader would not stop there. If we don't stop Putin, it will endanger the freedom of everyone, almost everywhere. Putin will keep going, and would-be aggressors everywhere will be emboldened to try to take what they can by force. Meanwhile, the U.S. Congress is running out of time to pass a new aid package for Ukraine as Senate lawmakers worked through the weekend to negotiate a deal for border security funding in return for Republican votes. Associated Press correspondent Jackie Quinn reports. A group of senators and key members of the Biden administration are trying to satisfy multiple entities. The GOP demand that it won't free up aid for Ukraine, Israel, or others unless there's tighter border security. We're not going to continue these stupid policies. Republican Senator Lindsey Graham on NBC's Meet the Press says President Biden took the wrong steps and escalated the border crisis. Chose to undo Trump policies. Democrat Debbie Dangle of Michigan on NBC. It's so hard and it's so emotionally charged. We never get it done. We don't get it done under Republican presidents. We don't get it done under Democratic presidents. Some Hispanic lawmakers are warning the president not to go too far. The hope was to find a deal to help Ukraine before Congress leaves for the holiday break. I'm Jackie Quinn. Ukraine has moved a step forward in its bid to join the European Union as leaders agreed late last week to start membership talks, but money to sustain its war effort against invading Russian forces hit a familiar roadblock with an ally of the Russian president in the EU. VOA's Arash Arabasadi has the story. As Ukraine readies for another winter at war with Russia, European leaders met late last week in the Belgian capital to discuss Ukraine's bid to join the EU. 26 member states decided to support the proposal of a review of the multiannual framework. 26, this is not enough to make a legally binding decision. The European Union consists of 27 member states. 
All 27 must unanimously approve other nations joining the fold. The lone holdout to Ukraine's accession remains Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban, considered Russian President Vladimir Putin's strongest ally in the EU. After what's been described as a stalemate in Brussels, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz says he suggested that Orban leave the room while the other 26 nations discussed a 50 billion euro aid package to Ukraine, something Orban so far refuses to support. Orban promptly took to social media to call the decision senseless, irrational and wrong, adding that Hungary is not changing its position. Despite failing to reach financial terms of support at the meeting in Brussels, European leaders expressed hope for the future of war-torn Ukraine. We are working very hard, of course, to have a uh, result uh, of where there is an agreement of 27 member states. But I think it is now also necessary to work um, on potential alternatives to have an operational solution in case that a, an agreement by 27, so unanimity is not possible. The Brussels summit came in the same week that Putin held his annual year-end marathon news conference in Moscow. The Russian president, who recently announced he'd seek another term in the Kremlin, said Ukraine's free ride of financial aid would soon come to an end, predicting fractures in the EU and a hyperpartisan U.S. Congress. Putin also expressed a willingness to reach an agreement with the U.S. on returning Western detainees without revealing many details. As world leaders debate aid packages and the future of Ukraine's EU membership at meetings likely in January, a drone strike in Ukraine's Kherson region serves as a reminder that another winter at war is coming, with or without material support. Arash Arabasadi, VOA News. For insights into why the EU is so important to Ukraine, I spoke with Doug Klein, non-resident fellow at the Atlantic Council and policy analyst for Rosam for Ukraine, meaning Together for Ukraine. Joining the EU is important for Ukraine, both symbolically and in terms of security and power. Uh, symbolically, this uh, it's, it's a very important thing for the Ukrainian people. In 2014, uh, they started the uh, the Euromaidan revolution because their strongman leader, uh, Yanukovych, reneged on a plan to start having closer economic ties with the EU. And uh, when he reneged on that and, and sent, tried to send Ukraine back towards Russia, uh, the Ukrainian people revolted. And they said, no, we, we see a different vision for our country as a modern European-style democracy. Uh, and they fought and they bled and they died for that. Uh, they are still dying for this idea that they can determine their own fate rather than have someone like Vladimir Putin determine it for them. So it was very big news when uh, in December the EU decided to formally open accession negotiations with Ukraine. Now, Ukraine is not going to join the EU tomorrow. It could take years for it to uh, become a member of the bloc. Uh, there are other countries that have spent years in these negotiations. Uh, but what is clear is that Ukrainians have shown they are incredibly determined to make the reforms needed uh, and to you know, negotiate in good faith and, and get themselves to, uh, to the point where they can join the EU. Uh, they've shown a tremendous determination to make that a reality. And uh, the, the first real step towards a European future was taken for Ukraine in December.
And of course, this is something that Vladimir Putin does not want to happen. And the only other European EU nation that seems to be ready to to push back on that and try to block that is Hungary. Yeah, that's correct. Hungary uh, has tried to put itself in the way of Ukraine's European future. Hungary's leader, Viktor Orban, uh, he is a fellow strongman. He is an authoritarian leader, and he has made common cause with Vladimir Putin. He has maintained friendly relations with Russia despite the invasion, uh, and he has quite cynically looked for ways to extract concessions from Europe in exchange for permitting it to help Ukraine defend itself. Uh, You know, just as these negotiations uh, were trying to be opened for for Ukraine to join the European Union, uh, Hungary was also standing in the way of uh, over 50 billion euros uh, in critical assistance for Ukraine. Uh, As of the time of this interview, Hungary is still standing in the way and blocking that aid for Ukraine. And so there are a lot of reasons why Hungary has stood in the way and has, has, you know, frankly tried to aid Vladimir Putin. But the the simple fact of it is the Europeans are trying to get around that and trying to circumvent Hungary's veto to get Ukraine the help it needs. Doug Klein, non-resident fellow at the Atlantic Council and policy analyst for Razum Ukraine. The Netherlands has been one of the strongest supporters of Ukraine in the West. However, the far-right opposition Party for Freedom won the recent parliamentary elections and party leaders have repeatedly criticized the country's support of Ukraine. VOA's Alexei Kovalenko has the story. The recent parliamentary elections victory of the Dutch far-right opposition party for freedom, or PVV, has left experts wondering whether the Netherlands, which has been among the most prominent supporters of Ukraine, will continue its aid to the war-torn country. According to the Kiel Institute for the World Economy, through the end of October, the Netherlands ranked seventh in the volume of humanitarian aid to Ukraine and in the volume of military aid. The Netherlands also was one of the first countries to announce it would send F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine. The Dutch have already sent to Ukraine armored vehicles, anti-aircraft missile system and tanks, and FIM-92 Stinger man-portable air defense systems. I'm grateful to the Netherlands. I'm grateful to you, Mark, your government, your team and the entire people of the Netherlands for the unwavering attention to Ukraine, the extremely strong support of Ukraine and our people on this difficult path. But during elections in late November, the PVV won 37 out of 150 seats in parliament, more than any other party. Since the win, party leader Hert Wilders has been trying to put together a coalition government with himself as prime minister. Wilders has been outspoken in his opposition to continuing aid to Ukraine, warning some Dutch officials. While talking to reporters in late November, the Dutch Minister of Defense Kaisa Longren expressed hope things will not change in the new parliament. But she added the PVV is now the largest party, and they have never been enthusiastic about support to Ukraine. They have even been pro-Russia at times. So that has me worried, said Olongren. Like other European far-right politicians, Wilders condemned Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February 2022, though he has previously showed sympathy towards Russia's government. Wilders has also said that the Netherlands should support Ukraine strictly politically, without sending it either financial or military aid. Rena Kuperos with the Klindale Institute says Netherlands' future aid to Ukraine remains an open issue. 
So there were some links between Geert Wilders' party and the Putin administration, but they were completely uh, diminished. They, 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 they were over. Now, now Wilders is supporting Ukraine. And he's saying there's an aggression war of Russia against Ukraine. So he, he changed his position there dramatically. Experts say the results of the Dutch parliamentary elections show the strengthening of the far-right parties in the West, which might have consequences not just for Ukraine, but for the future of all Europe. Oleksiy Kovalenko, VOA News, Washington. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Lori London. Russian peace activists say authorities are stepping up restrictions on freedom of expression ahead of next year's presidential elections in Russia as Russia's war against Ukraine drags on. They point to the case of LGBTQ peace activist Alexandra Skoshkalenko, who faces a 10-year prison sentence for expressing her opposition to the war. Marcus Harton narrates this report from VOA's Moscow Bureau. Alexandra Sochalenko is a Russian artist and peace activist who, at the beginning of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, went to a supermarket in her native city of St. Petersburg and switched the price tags of products, replacing them with anti-war slogans. That led authorities to charge her with discrediting the Russian army, and after a year and a half of so-called preventative detention, she has been sentenced to seven years in prison. We are showing drawings that Alexandra makes in prison, where we are told she is suffering physically and psychologically. The person relaying this is Sonia Sobotino, Alexandra's partner, who sees the future with pessimism, especially after the Russian government this month included the LGBT community on its list of extremists, along with Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State militant group. I honestly don't have any hope. The situation in Russia is now very difficult, and it's getting worse every day. Now I am an extremist simply because I am a lesbian. I have never hidden it, and now I fear that they may apply the penalty for extremism to Alexandra, which goes up to 10 years in prison. Linguist Svetlana Drugovaiko was one of the experts called by the defense to examine materials used to accuse Alexandra. The linguist's conclusions were clear. There was nothing in Alexandra's actions that could be considered an insult to the Russian army, and her report pointed out what she said was a lack of professionalism in preparing the materials. She says the documents failed to invoke any laws on the experts' activities, mentioned the criminal code without proper explanations, and included the use of poor grammar. I saw how unprofessional it was. It was written violating the basics of the Russian Federation legislation. After presenting her expert opinion, Svetlana was removed from her position as a professor of language study for 40 years at St. Petersburg State University, accused by a commission of professors of committing an immoral offense. 
She found the language humiliating. Since it was the same as the university used in 2019 to expel a professor who murdered and dismembered his lover, a university student. Critics say Alexandra's prison sentence and Svetlana's expulsion from her job are a clear sign that the repression is now directed not only against politicians, but also against civil society at large. Nikolai Rybakov is chairman of the liberal Yabloko party. He views the sentence as an attempt meant to deter other activists. This harsh sentence is to prevent others from doing pretty much the same but on a massive scale or from taking their causes to the next step. This is why they feel the need to put an end to these initiatives from the very start, to make others be scared. Russia has set presidential elections for March 17th of next year, and there is concern that restrictions on freedom of expression will be tightened further. There are unfortunately many grounds to believe that after the elections, the situation will be more tough and very likely much more tough. Hopes for pacifists like Alexandra that her sentence will be reduced seem very distant as Russia enters its second winter of war. For the VOA Moscow Bureau, Marcus Harton, VOA News. The United Nations Special Rapporteur for Human Rights in Russia said Monday that she is concerned about imprisoned Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny after his legal team and allies reported they've been unable to locate him since last making contact 13 days ago. Navalny's allies said he failed to appear in court as expected Monday, and they were still searching for him in Russia's extensive prison system. The UN says Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine has driven more than 5 million people from their homes. Many of them older adults. Now, some are finding safe places to live thanks to the American charity to Ukraine with Love and a community called Miracle Village. Lija Bakaletz reports from a development of 107 apartments outside of Kyiv. 63-year-old Tatiana Galka and her 85-year-old mother Lilia have been living in this apartment for two months. We have two bedrooms. One is for my mother. She has all the amenities, even a TV. There is no TV in my bedroom, but there is a double bed. When we were handed the keys, I was simply shocked, and I cried. The apartment where Galka lives is in the Kyiv region in the special settlement known as Miracle Village. The charity to Ukraine with love built it specially for older displaced people with funding from American philanthropist Deloy Hansen. Accommodation here is free. We conclude a free rental agreement with each person. We made a questionnaire. It's online. Anyone can fill it out. Then there's a whole commission that reviews the questionnaires and invites future residents. Miracle Village has 107 apartments designed for 130 residents. There will be a clubhouse with a shelter and a walk-in clinic, a free dentist and a hairdresser. In addition, we have a free bus to transport residents to the nearest city. Each apartment has a terrace and land for a garden. Lubov and Anatoly Bonder have already bought a weeding tool for their future garden. They used to have one at their original home in Bakhmut in the Donetsk region, which is now destroyed. We had 15 acres of land and farming there. 
We used to have everything, everything. At first, we wanted to stay, but when a cluster munition fell right in our garden, it was so scary. I had no idea how we remained unhurt. Tatiana and her mother decided to flee Bakhmut when there was nowhere to hide from the shelling. Our apartment was hit directly. As we got away from the city, I cried all the way. I realized I'd never come back here again. By the end of the year, the organization says all apartments will be occupied mainly by new residents from Donbass and southern Ukraine. Even in this environment of warmth and relative safety, there is a lingering fear among these residents that their new homes may also be destroyed by Russian missiles. Lesia Bakalets, VOA News in the Kyiv region of Ukraine. And that'll do it for us today. Stay up to date with continuing coverage on Ukraine and news from around the world 24 hours a day at voanews.com. And on social media, be sure and follow us at VOA News. On behalf of all of us here at VOA, we thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Lori London.